Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Heart of Flesh podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, I am joined here by Joshua hello. once again. And we are going to be, uh, well, this episode is essentially going to be part three yeah. to a little three part um, kind of series on understanding the gospel. We're going to kind of kind of move forward from this uh, into taking really a, a, a deeper look at uh, the, yeah. the biblical doctrines of, of salvation mm-hmm. uh, and kind of what that looks like. But this is going to be a, a quick overview of the gospel going into that, which is at the heart and center yep. of not only biblical salvation, but the, but the Bible in general. Yep. And I, you know, in our first episode of this, we talked a bit about the importance of the gospel. And, and here we want to kind of define that and unpack that a little bit, but part of that that we wanted to get across and want you to understand is if up to this point you have had a conception of Christianity that did not include the gospel in it, mm. that didn't include the gospel message, then, then, then you've kind of missed the very heart of Christianity. Yeah. Like if you've thought of Christianity as uh, another moralistic religion, and, and certainly God calls us to obey him yeah. and, and to, to do good in the world. But at the heart of that uh, is, is a message about the grace of God in Christ and how we are, we are made right with God, how, how, how our sins are forgiven in Christ and how because of the work of Christ, we, we can come into the presence of God. We, we can know God, we can love God, and, and we ha- actually have the hope of eternal life with God. So, so if that has to this point, not been part of your conception of Christianity. I just I ask you to, con- to consider, you know, in our first episode, understanding the importance of it. Yep. And in this one, hopefully we're going to unpack that a little bit um, and, and give you a, a picture of what actually happens in the gospel. When, when the biblical authors talk about it, what's actually going on? What's at the heart uh, of the biblical message of salvation? So, so we kind of want to want to portray that today. And part of that, and and this is, kind of points back to part two of this, but yeah. but part of this conversation is w- when we talk about the gospel, we must frame this um, first by understanding the holiness and the justice of God. Mm-hmm. We must understand that God is <clears throat> is completely and utterly and, and unfathomably holy, mm-hmm. and that that in God's presence. Uh, there, there can be no sin. Yep. Uh, God, God is so holy that, that He can't even look upon sin. That He, that He can't have sin in His presence. That, that in His justice, He, he promises to punish all sin. That, that He is going to bring justice against, against all sin. And you know, we, we see in Adam and Eve in the garden in the fall that, that, that the punishment of sin is death. Eventually they would physically die, but also spiritual death. They are, they are exiled. They're kicked out of the garden, mm-hmm. kicked or, or ushered away from the presence of God. And, and then we see, um, as we continue in the Old Testament, God, God gathers and redeems this, this people Israel, uh, and he makes a special dwelling for his presence among them. And in that, we see that any time they are to approach this presence or to come near him, there must be atonement yep. Atonement made. Uh, there, there are special things that must happen, and, and the people that that without without doing those things come into the presence of God are, are actually judged immediately by God, mm-hmm. because that is that is the character that is the holiness of God, 
And, you know, in part two, we looked at how the, the Bible asserts clearly that all of us have, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this presents a problem for us. This presents a great problem for us. The gospel is the answer to that problem. But but we, we have a, the, the justice of God, the, the absolute perfection of God's character becomes a problem for mm-hmm. us. And when I say it becomes a problem for us, I don't mean that it's not something that we praise God for, that it's not something that we that we that we hope in God for. You know, you think of the justice of God. Sometimes that mm-hmm. kind of rustles people's feathers a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but but in the Bible we see that that is something that <clears throat> that we are to hope in uh, mm-hmm. and to praise God for. Yeah. You know, you know, we look around at the world and we see injustice happening and and we feel in our hearts a desire for justice to be brought against this. We we feel that. Mm-hmm. And the reason we do is because we are made in the image of a just God. And now the problem is, the, the problem in that uh, is that if God is, is perfectly just and we cry out for, mm-hmm. for a, a total and complete justice, you know, it doesn't take, take long to look in the mirror and realize, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm calling out for a complete justice, like, like this eventually, this, this would fall on me. Yep. Like I have fallen short of this standard of God's glory and the standard of God's righteousness. And if, if I were to receive the justice of God, uh, that would, that would be problematic. So, you know, first we understand that. Um, but now today what we're going to look at is how the gospel meets that problem, how, how it shows for us both the justice of God and actually the mercy of God as well. Yeah. I would say too, like, so last summer, or last semester, <laughs> last episode, um, we kind of went through the bad news that is necessary to be proclaimed before this good news. Uh, that's what this kind of is going to be focused on t- in this episode. And I, we would encourage you that for both of those episodes, you would go through them. You can listen to this whenever you want, whether you're on the road and you can't do this, but we would encourage you to go back and go through the scriptures as we go through them. Because we want to tie your understanding of the gospel, not to merely what we're saying, but to what the words of God are saying. And if you can find them in a Bible and you can see them, you can read them, you can come back to them, you can get the page number that they're on in your Bible, um, it will be something you can come back to each and every single day. Um, So there's just something unique about seeing these things in the scriptures for yourself. So we would encourage you to to listen to this at a time when you can sit down, open up a Bible and go through them with us. Yeah. So, so with that, we're going to kind of get into, um, uh, you know, essentially what the gospel looks like, what, what is the good news for us? Uh, how, how is God just and merciful? Um, and, and really at the center of that, at the center of the message of salvation, um, where, where the, we see the justice of God and the mercy of God really meet and collide is in, is in the cross of Christ. Yep. And this is kind of the focal point uh, of the Bible. It's also the focal point of human history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also most, it's, it's the thing that God will, will most manifestly be praised for for all eternity. Yep. When, when you look at, you know, Revelation 6, Revelation 7, we get a picture of, of, of all of God's people, redeemed people in heaven, praising God uh, and praising the lamb who was slain mm-hmm. for all eternity. You know, this is a, cosmically, this is the 
event. This is the climax of human history. It's it's the climax of God's purposes in the world, um, and the thing for which Christ will be will be praised for all eternity, and and the thing for which accomplishes the salvation of His people. Yep. So, <clears throat> looking at the cross of Christ, um, the first thing that we're going to see, uh, we're we're going to describe this, and, and the Bible talks about this, kind uh, kind of in two ways. At, at the cross, um, there is a what people often refer to as a as the great exchange. Mm-hmm. There's something that takes place. So we've talked before, um, you know, a little bit in the last episode, I think about how Christ represents us. Yep. So in the same way that we were represented by Adam in the fall uh, and judgment was brought on humanity, in the same way Christ represents us by his perfect and obedient yep. life and by his substitutionary death. Yep. Uh, so, so, there's kind of two sides to that coin. Um, you know, theologians often refer to this as, as double imputation. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to describe a bit of what that means and kind of look at both sides of that. Uh, it's also often called the great exchange. Yep. So <clears throat> what we're going to start with is that the Bible actually teaches yep. that in Christ and in the cross of Christ, our sin is imputed to Christ, that means it, it, it belongs to him. Yep. It is credited to him. And in the cross, God actually treats, God the Father treats Jesus yep. like he had committed our sin. Mm-hmm. So, so he acts in our place and, and he takes on himself the judgment of God against our sin. Yep. Right? <clears throat> so... You know, now we're going to look at a few places where, where the Bible uh, uh, teaches this, okay? And what's, what's interesting is perhaps the place where the Bible most clearly mm-hmm. teaches this is actually maybe not in the New Testament, um, but in, in Isaiah 53. That, that's one passage. I mean, essentially, there are many throughout the Bible. We, yeah. don't have, we don't have time to go super deep into all of these, but a place where it's clearly taught is in Isaiah 53. And we're going to read that, but first a couple just introductory notes to that. Yeah. The, the, the prophet Isaiah lived uh, in, in Israel around, I think, for, from about 750 to 700 BC. Yep. So he had a ministry around that time. So when he writes the book of Isaiah, this is 700 years before Christ has come. And we have manuscripts of the book of Isaiah from before the time Christ come, has come. Yep. So when we look at this, you got to understand that this is saying this is saying things about Jesus before he had actually come and and, and lived on earth. Mm-hmm. And in this passage, we find uh, evidence of his life and upbringing. We find his humiliation and, and crucifixion, mm-hmm. and we find his resurrection and ascension. All in this passage, seven hundred years before Christ. Yep. So, so we have to we have to deal with that. Yep. Uh, you know, people are responsible for 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 when we look at this, we have to deal with the fact that God said this beforehand, mm-hmm. and then accomplished it in Christ. Yep. And you know, one of the themes of Isaiah, when you read it, especially Isaiah forty through forty eight, God talks about how He speaks things in advance, mm-hmm. and then brings them to pass, as a testament of who He is. Mm-hmm. That, that he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. That, that it's actually his purposes that will stand and that he declares them beforehand. Yep. 
and, and you know often you know you, th- you think of people or, or just <clears throat> arguments in general from atheists that, that god has not provided enough evidence uh for his existence and now we've covered that a bit in the past but yep. but we have to deal with this reality yep. that, that god speaks and it comes to pass so uh, we're going to look at isaiah 53 um, this, this passage actually starts in Isaiah fifty two thirteen. I would encourage you to go read the whole thing, but in the middle of that, it, it's speaking of, of a future, uh, suffering servant of the Lord connected really to, um, the Davidic Messiah, but in actually, I'm going to start in verse three. So it says verse three, uh, he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And you see clearly there uh, the the biblical teaching of the substitutionary death of Christ or the vicarious atonement. Mm-hmm. That he actually acted in our place. That he actually took our sin on himself. That he was judged by God in our place so that no judgment would remain for us. Mm-hmm. He was pierced for our transgressions crushed for our iniquities and in verse 10 of the same passage you see you see who is doing this verse 10 says yet it was the will of the lord to crush him he has put him to grief so in the accomplishment of of the salvation that god would bring to his people um god the father sends the son into the world to 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 actually do this this is the cost (laughs) that comes with our salvation Mm -hmm is the death of God's own son uh, and him actually bearing our sin. So, so that, that we find that that doctrine takes clear expression here. We also look at, you know, the rest of the entire old Testament, you know, you look at the sacrificial system, um, that, that is instituted in Israel. And it's clear that, you know, with, with the sacrificial lamb, the bulls, the goats, all of that, that, Oh, the the God. sin of the people is being is being transferred to a substitute mm-hmm. who is going to to take it and, and pay for it yep. and now that that points to the ultimate substitute which is Jesus mm-hmm. you think of the Passover lamb very similar uh, the, the judgment of God passes over the Israelites because of the the slain lamb who is the substitute and, and you know you think of in John 1, where John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of mm-hmm. the world. He's saying Jesus is the fulfillment of this Old Testament sacrificial system, yeah. which is substitutionary by nature. So, so he, he he's taking this sin on himself. Yeah, this kind of gets... We talked about this in our series on the like understanding the Bible. Um, this kind of gets at the idea of typology a little bit, where the sacrificial system was pointing to something that was to come. And there are points in these sacrifices where the people would actually lay their hands <clears throat> on these sheep or these goats or these rams or the bulls to signify like my sin is being imputed on this this mm-hmm. sacrifice. And there are also times in these sacrifices 
where after those animals are sacrificed, the blood would be sprinkled on the people to show a covering of the sin by the atonement of the blood. It's crazy how, and, and the point is, is that the New Testament talks about those same exact things happening in Christ. We are covered by the blood of the Lamb, Christ himself, who makes us right before God. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's a beautiful doctrine. And we see, like, here it is most fully mm-hmm. that we see the justice of God. Yep. Uh, you, you see God's holiness and, and his hatred for sin and mm-hmm. the justice that he brings against sin. But that falls on ultimately on Christ and we are forgiven. We are, we are offered the mercy of God. Um, we we're adopted into God's family by mm-hmm. faith. Um, just, just you, that, that should bring you to awe mm-hmm. about, about both the holiness of God and the grace of God. Yep. And now, <clears throat> you know, another example, maybe in the, in the new Testament or, or kind of showing a bit, the result of this, you know, the book of Hebrews you know, actually, if you're looking to understand better the Old Testament sacrificial system and how it's fulfilled in Christ, you should read the book of Hebrews. That's essentially what it's about. But I'm going to point to just one passage in Hebrews 10. Um, I'm going to be looking at verse 12 through 14. Now, now this is this is following a section talking about uh, just, just what I mentioned, the Old Testament sacrificial system, how it's fulfilled in Christ. And it says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins... He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Verse 14, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Ultimately, uh, this, is, this is the work of Christ, not the work of us. And, and by this offering, by the, by the crucifixion of Christ, he has made perfect those who are who are being sanctified. That means that, that his atonement was effectual, mm-hmm. that it actually purchased salvation for for God's people. That, that in this moment, all of the people who would ever believe in Jesus, he took the weight of all of their sin. Mm-hmm. So so that now, you know, as Romans 8 says, there is no condemnation left for those who are in Christ. Mm-hmm. What a, what a picture that is. Yeah. The, the, the wrath of God has been completely spent on Christ. Yeah. I would just say too, like, maybe you're hearing this and maybe you're like, maybe two things. Maybe you're sa- like, this sounds really good. It's something I want. Um, something I recognize I need. And the great thing is, is that this is available for all people. Um, so if you're feeling that right now, uh, we would encourage you to maybe go and pray and ask for god to forgive you for these sins Um, and the other thing that could be thinking is like how is this even fair how is it fair that god would like crucify christ deal with sins in christ and not the people themselves and i would just say that's the glory of the gospel Mm -hmm. it's not fair but god who is rich in mercy allows this avenue back to himself and it's not based on the human mindset of works, but on the mercy of God himself. Yeah, it kind of gets at, um, you know, in our, I think in our first part on this series, we talked about, you know, you know, every, every, every human religion, whatever it is, it, and, you know, just, just the important question of, of human history is, is how can a sinf- how can sinful man be made right with God? 
You know, that's a great question. Mm -hmm. And every other system, essentially, you know, man-made system comes up with this idea that, you know, I am made right with God by my good works, by what I do, whatever it is. I, I, by my own obedience, earn a place with God Mm -hmm. and I enter into the favor of God. But in the gospel, you have something uh, decidedly different than that. You have God actually, actually coming down, uh, you know, being clothed in human flesh and, and living a perfect life and dying a vicarious death. Mm-hmm. So, so now it's actually, it's actually not our works that accomplishes, but the work of, of God in Christ that does. Yeah. And, and that's the glory of the gospel is that it's by the grace of God and not by our own works. Yeah, and the cool thing is, kind of transition here, it's not just that like your sin is now cast away from you, you're actually given something in exchange for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we talked about, about, you know, double, what we call, or, or theologians call a few things, the great exchange mm-hmm. or, or double imputation. So on the one hand, our sin is imputed to Christ. Mm-hmm. It, it belongs to him. He pays for it. He, he, he takes the judgment that, uh, that is, that is necessary for that sin. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, what, what we see also is that, that's, that, that, um, the righteousness of Christ is transferred to us. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. So we're gonna we're gonna define that a bit. That um, our sin belongs to Jesus. It's credited to him. He 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 takes it, and, and in the exchange, also the righteousness of Christ, the obedience of Christ, is imputed to us. Okay, S- so we got to understand here that not only for for us for us to enter the enter heaven. For, for us to be made right with God, it's not just the forgiveness of our sins that we need, mm-hmm. but we need a, a positive righteousness, mm-hmm. right? We, we need a positive righteousness. We need to possess a righteousness uh, that, that, will, that will get us there. And what we find is that, is that in the gospel uh, and, and by the work of Christ, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. Mm-hmm. It, it's given to us mm-hmm. so, so that it, it's... Or, or you could say the word credited to us, so that when God looks on us, he sees not our own works, but the work of, of Christ. And we're going to go through a few verses that kind of describe that, but but again, this is, is coming from the idea that that Christ is our representative. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he is our head. If we are in him, it means that, that he represents us before God. Sometimes the Bible uses the term mediator. Mm-hmm. He, he is the mediator between God and men. Um, you know, there, there, you can think of, if you know what a mediator is, it's like, like there's two parties uh, and there's opposition between them and a mediator stands in and makes reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And that's what Christ has done by his work. So, so not only is it important just that Christ died a death on our behalf, but mm-hmm. he actually lived a perfect life on our behalf as well. Um, so, so one place that we find that pretty clearly um, actually both of these things is we're going to go to second Corinthians chapter five and verse 21. And I'm going to read that quick. This is just a short, and, and this is exactly what Paul's saying, mm-hmm. but I'll read this quick. It says, uh, for our sake, he made him. So, so God, the father made, made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So, so God 
God the Father on the cross, he treated Jesus like he had committed our sins, like he lived our life, right? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So you see that idea there of, of double imputation. Our sins are imputed to Jesus. They belong to him. He pays for them. He takes mm-hmm. ownership of them. And in exchange, we are forgiven of our sins and actually granted the positive righteousness of Christ. Mm-hmm. We, we become the righteousness of God. Yep. We don't have a righteousness in ourselves. Yep. Uh, we, we have not by our works earned the favor of God. But Christ's obedience on our behalf is granted to us. Mm-hmm. It, it's given to us by faith in Christ. It, it is a work of God's grace. So in that, you see, you see that idea of, of this exchange that takes place. Mm-hmm. You know, another place, uh, a prominent place is Philippians 3. And in Philippians 3, you have Paul, you know, writing to the church in Philippi. And he's talking about, he, he makes a contrast uh, between his own life, you, you know, if he were to earn favor before God, uh, especially old, especially according to the Mosaic Covenant in the Old Testament, if there was anyone that could, Paul essentially is making the point that if there was anyone who could earn the favor of God, uh, Paul would have been the prime candidate. Mm-hmm. If there was anyone who could earn a righteousness in himself, uh, P- Paul would have been, uh, you know, at the, at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. But Paul recognized that this was no righteousness before God and that what he needed was the righteousness of God imputed to him by faith in Christ. And, you know, if, if some of this is, is a bit high level and a bit confusing, that's okay. Uh, I yeah. hope in reading this passage that it, it may become a little bit more clear. So I'm, I'm going to read it. Let's see. I'm going to start in, um, actually, well, in verse 4. You know, Paul, Paul says, he's, he's contrasting if he thinks, he says, I have a reason for confidence in the flesh. And, and that essentially means confidence in my own works, confidence mm-hmm. in, in what I've done. Um, and he says this, he kind of gives his list of, of qualifications. He says that he was circumcised on the eighth day, that he was of the people of Israel, that he was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. As to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, he was blameless. So, so this is Paul's kind of kind of resume of l- life in the Mosaic Covenant according to the mm-hmm. to Old Testament law, and you know, you know, his standing. And, and he's essentially saying, like, I have done all of these things. Mm-hmm. Like, like I have, I have, I have done all of this. But he realizes that that it's not enough. So, uh, he continues in verse seven. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So that's that's very important right there. Mm-hmm. Paul is saying, even though I had done all of these things, I had no righteousness of my own. Mm-hmm. I had no righteousness that I could stand before God yeah. with. But in the gospel, and if we are in Christ, then we we have what has been granted to us as the righteousness of Christ. Mm-hmm. It, it's been granted to us 
um, the obedience of Christ, it, it's given to us. So, you know, you, you can think of like a, a courtroom setting yep. and God, not only does God, you know, pronounce us innocent mm-hmm. from our sin, but actually that we have a, a positive righteousness in Christ. Yeah. We are, we are decreed um, to be righteous in Christ. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful, wonderful picture. It is. And we're not just using like this courtroom case idea because it works really nice. The language of scripture uses courtroom language all over it yeah. to talk about this aspect of salvation. Yeah. Yeah, Paul, Paul often uses the word justification, mm-hmm. um, which is really a, a legal term. Mm-hmm. You know, it's essentially the, the, the pronouncement of a legal decree of, of innocence and right standing. Yep. So when you read, you know, when you read the Bible and you see Paul talking about the word justification, that's essentially what it means. Yeah. Put and yourself in a courtroom, essentially. Yep. And, and how we are, we are justified, not by our works, but by faith in Christ yep. as well. Um, I think... You know, the last one, you know, Paul also also makes this point, um, you know, in, in Philippians 3, he's arguing that that though he had, you know, ha- had a lot of outward adherence to the to the Old Testament Mosaic law, mm-hmm. that, that that actually couldn't give him the righteousness that he needed. What he shows, and we're going to look at Romans 4, and, and he's going to show that that it's never been righteousness has never come through the law mm-hmm. it's always come through faith in christ yep. and throughout the whole bible uh, that is actually shown and made clear throughout and the example that paul uses i'm just going to start reading in romans 4 he uses abraham mm-hmm. he says this um he's just described justification by faith in, in romans 3 at the end of it in verse 4 he starts and sa- he says what then shall we say was gained by abraham our forefather according to the flesh For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And in that, he quotes Genesis 15, 6. Very early in the Bible. Actually, you know, know, Abraham, um, very early in the Bible, he's following from the line of of Adam and Eve through uh, Abel, through Seth. And you see that God calls Abraham to this to this special task, um, but but we see that um, Abraham believes in the promises of God, and God counts it to him as righteousness. It's credited to him as righteousness. You see the grace of God here, and in verse four it says, "Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due." And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So Abraham is not being counted righteous because of his own righteousness or because God owes him this, but it is given to him as a gift, not as his due, not as his wage, but as a gift of God to be received by faith. And that is, that is the glory and the hope of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that we are judged not according to what we've done, but according to what Christ has done. And that we receive this by faith and not by works. Yeah. And I think we did want to spend a little time talking about faith too. Um, because uh, like we're reading about these verses, they're talking about putting our faith in Christ or believing. Um, but the Bible teaches that faith is 
not just a mental ascent to say like, hey, in a moment, I either pray a prayer or I say I believe in God. Because if you read the rest of chapter four of Romans, he goes on to explain that this faith that Abraham had in the promises of God, it proved itself in his actions later on. And I can't remember if he goes on to talk about it with regards to Isaac or not, but essentially somewhere in the Bible it talks about how his faith led him in Genesis chapter 22 to be willing to sacrifice the one and only son he had whom God said like the lot or the promise would continue through. Um, And he actually says like in that passage, even, or maybe it's not in that passage. Maybe it's later on in the new Testament somewhere in the Bible. It says like he was assured that even if he killed his son, sacrificed Isaac as God called him to, that he would resurrect Isaac. He was assured of that. Hebrews 11. Hebrews. Um, So, so what we're trying to say here is, or what I'm trying to say is faith is not just saying, I believe in my mind. Faith has an effect. True faith has an effect on our actions, which I think we talked about that in James 2 at some point. Yeah, J- James 2 is another place that makes that pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we talk about how the gospel is, is by grace, um, and it's through faith in Christ. But, th- you know, there, there's a lot of misconceptions around the word faith today yep. and what it means. Um, and when the Bible talks about faith, like you said, Joshua, it's not just a mental assent mm-hmm. to the truth. Um, it, it's not just you know, a, a rational belief, mm-hmm. but it, it is maybe a better way to say it is it is, it is a life altering yep. trust in God and in the promises of God. The, the genuine faith shows and demonst- demonstrates itself in positive action, yep. positive trust in God and positive godly living. Yeah. You know, James two, w- what it says there is, you know, the, the great question there, is you, you say that you have faith, but you have no works. Can such a faith save you? Mm-hmm. Can, can a faith that does not alter your life, can that faith save you? Mm-hmm. And, and James is going to go on in that chapter to say no. And he's, and he's actually going to use uh, the example of Abraham as well. Mm-hmm. And, and he points to Genesis 15, 6, which says that you know it, it was counted to him as righteousness. He mm-hmm. believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. And he goes to Genesis 22, like you talked about, mm-hmm. and he says that the scripture was fulfilled, saying that Abraham believed God. That scripture was fulfilled. His faith was demonstrated mm-hmm. in that uh, episode with Isaac. Yep. And, and, you know, actually that episode with Isaac, ultimately that, that points to, yeah. you know, the, the sacrificial death of Christ, yep. the, the one and only son of God mm-hmm. um, in that situation as well. Yeah. But it but it also demonstrates the faith of Abraham. Yeah. And it demonstrates that Abraham had a life altering trust in God. Yeah. So so when we think about when we think about saving faith, we're think we're we are and when the Bible describes it, we are talking about not just a you know, you know, James calls it a dead faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, a faith that's just a rational assent or or a, you know, you know, a shallow belief. But Instead, when the Bible talks about faith, we're talking about a, a life-altering trust in God and in the promises of God. Yeah. You know, if 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 you've come to know Christ in your life, uh, you've come to to believe that that He is the Son of God, the Messiah, that that He actually died in your place for your sins. Mm-hmm. You cannot 
understand that fully uh, unless it manifests itself in the actions of your life. Yeah, and that's that idea of like our faith or our beliefs altering our way of living is not a new concept. Like any belief that you hold, it's not a true belief if it doesn't affect your actions. Like if you said like, this is just a thought exercise here. Hey, I need to go to college in order to get a good job. If you don't go to college, you don't actually, you're not living that belief out. You don't actually hold to that belief because it's not affecting the way you're living. Um, so like just that concept of our actions demonstrating our beliefs is not just like alone with like faith in Christ. It's, it's common. It's, it's j- like, it's true of all of our beliefs. Yeah. It has the same effect. Yeah. So, so maybe just to, to summarize that quick, there's a lot of, a, l- a lot of debates and uh, discussion about how faith and works work together because mm-hmm. the Bible makes that clear. Yep. Um, and, you know, I think James two makes this clear also, you know, you look at like Ephesians two ten stuff like that. But the, the way this happens is that we are saved on the basis of, tr- of true faith. Mm-hmm. That is the thing alone. Yep. We're not saved by our works. We're saved on the basis of truth of true faith, but the true faith always produces good works. Yep. It, it always it's the fruit bears fruit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A, a true faith is always demonstrated by good works. Yep. Um, but it is our, it is our, our faith that, that ultimately saves. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to, we're going to try to kind of wrap up here. We've actually been, been keeping these a little bit shorter. Yep. Um, you know, one thing we want to emphasize is, is, is just think about this, uh, consider it, um, you know, when you go to read your Bible, look for this understanding of the gospel that Christ actually, actually, actually paid for our sin. You know, like Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Mm-hmm. That, that the salvation that Christ has accomplished has been complete and full. And if you have faith in Christ, that that, that belongs to you. Um, that, that he has made full atonement for your sin. And actually you've been granted a, a, a righteousness that is not your own the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Christ. And the result of this should always be the worship of God uh, and the worship of Christ and a lifestyle, living a lifestyle of of glad, with with a glad and and thankful heart Mm -hmm. towards God, praising God for this work that he has done. And yeah, I was going to say something else. I can't remember. That's okay. Um, Yeah. So, you know, I I mean, lastly, you know, consider um, what's important is, is responding to this Mm -hmm. message. So, you know, we talked about Mark one. It says there that Jesus, after his temptation in the wilderness, that he went about preaching the gospel of God Mm -hmm. and, and saying, you know, the, the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the, or the kingdom of God is at hand. Therefore, like the, the, the time or, or what to do is to repent and believe in the gospel. Here I found it. Uh, Mark 1, 14. It says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Mm-hmm. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Don't wait until tomorrow. Don't wait until later in life. 
Jesus is saying that that, that time is at hand. Yep. That, that's a command for today. Uh, that, that's a command for now. Uh, the, the proper response to understanding the gospel is, is repentance and belief. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much, that's pretty much all we, all we've got for today. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully that's maybe been a bit, a bit of a clarification. Um, just, just, you know, I, I hope this has made clear what, what the work of Christ actually accomplished mm-hmm. for us on our behalf, yep. that we have forgiveness mm-hmm. of sins, um, and to us has been given the righteousness of Christ. Yep. So, so praise God for that. Yes. Um, thank you guys for listening today. You know, after this, we are going to, uh, go, go into a, you know, maybe a bit of a deeper series. We're going to, we're going to unpack exactly what this looks like in a deeper way, how it happens. Um, and, and we're excited to do that. Yep. So thank you guys for tuning in. Um, yeah. And hopefully you continue to join us in the future. God bless you. Yep.